we're on a journey here where we're diving into the book of 2 Corinthians. Um, last week we uh, began our dialogue by uh, getting a sense of what uh, Corinth was all about. And not just what Corinth was all about. We saw the beginning of the church as Paul uh, went and proclaimed the gospel and a number of people got saved. Uh, we, we dove in in Acts chapter 18. We're starting a series on 2 Corinthians, and lots has happened from Acts 18 to 2 Corinthians. Sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, we you know, flip pages and we forget that there's real people behind the stories. We forget that there's time and space that uh, separate the stories. There's raw emotion and hurts and all kinds of stuff that are packed into these uh, accounts. And sometimes we have to step back and get a sense of what's going on. Corinth, uh, Paul goes to Corinth and Thessalonica and to Ephesus because these are central places in the ancient world. They're places and cities that are uh, of critical importance. They're trade routes and the whole world goes through these port communities. They're strategic in every way uh, as far as getting the gospel out. Because Paul knew that if the gospel got into Corinth, it wouldn't stay there. If the gospel got into Thessalonica, it wouldn't stay there. Or Ephesus. Gone were the days where Athens was the chief city, the glory of Greek society. That had long gone. No, Athens was an important city, but not like Corinth or these other cities. Paul went there and his strategy to reaching Athens was quite different and distinct to his strategies to reaching Ephesus and uh, Thessalonica and Corinth. No, he met on Mars Hill there and he proclaimed the gospel and helped Stoic philosophers, the academics, understand the power of the resurrection and the person of Jesus Christ. These communities, if you can just visualize, just as a reminder, are found uh, 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 throughout the Mediterranean Sea. Corinth is kind of smack dab in the middle. It's probably the most important city as people went through Corinth to get up uh, to Rome and other places. Ephesus is to the east. Rome is to the far uh, northwest. And then, like I said, Thessalonica is in the heart of the bay. The apostle started the church in Corinth with the gospel around 50 or 51 AD, and that's Acts chapter 18. He plants the church and ministers to them for about 18 months. That's what we read at the end of the the chapter 18 of Acts. In about 53 AD, Paul heads to Ephesus where he's going to establish the church and work with the people. Paul uh, hears that Corinth, while he's in Ephesus, needs some correction. And so he writes a letter that is both lost and misunderstood. We don't have the letter that, that Paul wrote. We just know about it because in 1 Corinthians, he refers to it. It's gone. God in his provision didn't keep it for us. And uh, we just accept that. That not every letter that Paul wrote was to be in the canon. Not every letter that Paul wrote was to be in the Bible. He's misunderstood because the question that was swirling was on sexual immorality. This was the issue that the church of Corinth was dealing with. They were trying to figure out what does it mean to be a Christian and to deal with all the sexual immorality that is running rampant in the city of Corinth. 
Paul explains to them that they need to separate from the sexual immorality. The Corinthians take it to the extreme and they separate from the world, from Corinth and all unbelievers. That was never the intent of Paul's letter. And so further correction is required. In the midst of this, he begins to write 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians which is the letter that we have, his second letter. He, he now has a visit from Cleo and Stephanus who bring news that it's not just this issue of sexual immorality and how shall we deal with it. There's different fractions that are starting to rise up. The church is starting to divide over different leaders, different slants, different points of view. Judaizers are starting to move in and they're suggesting that it's not just grace alone and what Christ has done, but it's also about the law. Timothy takes a letter, 1 Corinthians. He starts answering some of the questions a little more clearly on sexual immorality. He answers questions about the spiritual gifts, about tongues. He answers questions about communion and the importance of communion and how they're to participate in communion. He starts to try to bring unity and clarity to what he was first responding to in his first letter. Timothy is commissioned with the task and role to go to Corinth and present the letter. He's tasked with the mission of trying to bring clarity and unity to the church of Corinth. This is his role. Following this, uh, Timothy leaves and Paul continues to work and uh, bad news comes back. Bad news that the people of Corinth are, are, are struggling and they're, they're pushing back on Paul. Paul realizes that he needs to go and make a visit. He needs to physically go and address the issues, that a letter is not sufficient. And so what Paul does is he, he makes a visit in about 55 AD to Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, he refers to that visit as a painful visit. That's how we know it's happened. And what happens in that visit is he, he starts to push back, and the leaders are pushing back. It's very contentious. It's, it's challenging. And Paul is questioned in every way about his apostleship. He's questioned about his authority, and the people are pushing back. They don't like what Paul has to say. Some resolve comes, and Paul leaves, and he heads back uh, to Ephesus, and then later he goes to Troas, and uh, prior to that, he, he writes a letter, a third letter. This letter is strong, and is direct and to the point, as far as what we can tell. It affirms uh, much of his teaching as he had been there, and uh, uh, it's not well received, that letter. We don't have access to that letter. It's a letter that we never seen. We just hear about it and know about it, because 2 Corinthians refers to it. Paul heads back to Macedonia after that, and Titus comes to him and brings some good news and some bad news. In general, they responded to the letter, that strong letter that he's uh, given, and that's the good news. The bad news is that they no longer respond to Paul and his authority. They see him as a guy who is kind of uh, all over the place, wishy-washy. One minute he's coming to Corinth, now he's not. What's going on with this guy? Can't he hear from God? Why should we trust him? Who is this guy? He's not really uh, trustworthy. And there's a group of what's called false prophets or super, uh, not prophets, I'm sorry, false apostles and super apostles, which we read about in 2 Corinthians that are rising up and they're usurping Paul's role. Paul then writes 2 Corinthians, the book we have. And laced through this book, you're going to see Paul defending himself. You're going to see him defending his position as an apostle. You're going to see him standing firm in the truth. 
You're going to sense the tension between him and the leaders of Corinth as you read this letter. You're going to sense the tension and the issues that are rising up as Paul tries to reaffirm, correct, and redirect the uh, church of Corinth. In 56 AD, Paul goes to Corinth uh, after having given the letter to Titus, uh, 2 Corinthians, and uh, he goes there to, uh, to, to sort of help stabilize the church. He spends about three months there, and uh, he teaches the church of Corinth uh, all kinds of things and tries to correct them and help them. He would head off to Rome after that because Claudius was dead. He was the Roman emperor who had expelled the Jews out of Rome, and that was why Priscilla and Aquila had gone down to Corinth. You'll remember that last week. And so now Claudia, uh, Claudius is dead, and Jews are allowed in Rome, and so Paul wants to make his way up there. It's while he's in Corinth for this three-month span that he writes the book of Romans that we have today. And many commentators think that uh, much of what Paul writes in Romans, he taught the church of Corinth. And that was the backdrop of the book of Romans. And so that's what's happened in this six-year span as we dive into the book of 2 Corinthians. I want us to understand that there's a context. There's issues. And Paul is uh, seeking to deal with these issues. Not only are all these issues on the table, you also have to remember that this new church is full of people of all kinds of backgrounds. There's Jewish people like Aquila and Priscilla who got kicked out of Rome. They're there, and so their worldview, the filter by which they understand the world, is going to be from a Jewish perspective. But they're not the only ones who are identified in the church. There's also the Jewish leader who's, who's well acquainted with the law. He understands the importance of the law. He was a synagogue leader. He and his household had got saved. That's what Acts chapter 18, Crispus He's a part of the church. And so too does he bring a filter and a worldview to the church. But then you also got Greeks like Chloe and uh, uh, Phoebe. You also have Romans like uh, Titus and Justice and Orestes. All of these people are associated with the church of Corinth. Either in Acts or in Corinth or in Romans. They're all pointing to Corinth. All these people are coming together and they're trying to figure out what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ in Corinth. All from different backgrounds. All from different vantage points. All from different filters. This is what makes the church. Beyond that, you've got people who are wealthy and poor coming in and making the church. How do I know that? Well, it seems to me that Justice, who hosted the church when it got kicked out of the synagogue, remember we talked about that last week, he hosted the church in his home right next to the synagogue. Well, from my count, uh, you know, and it's very basic, you know, it seems to me there's at least 10 adults plus households. It would be very conservative for me to suggest that there would be 30, 40 Upwards of 50 people a part of this church of Corinth. Now, I don't know about 
your home, but my home couldn't host on a weekly basis 50 people for, for a church service. I, I just couldn't do it. There's not enough room. There's too many walls, and it just wouldn't happen. No, an affluent person who has a, a, a larger home in the center of the city, now that kind of person could. And so speculation would suggest that, that as a, a church uh, host, a host of the church, that he's probably fairly affluent. But he wasn't the only people there. There's poor people as well that were struggling with their reality. And, and so you've got poor and rich together trying to discover what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ. Beyond that, you have free people, freed people. What's a freed person? A freed person is someone who was a slave under Roman law who was freed from the commitment to be a slave. And so they come with a different uh, vantage point. You have a free or affluent people. And then you also got servants. They're described in the book. All of these people make the church, the church of Corinth. Make sense? Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> But that's the context. And when we understand that, it helps us to understand the book of Corinth. Now beyond that, Paul says this in his letter of Corinth. He says, now such were some of you. And then he has these lists. Sorcerers. Prostitutes. um, Robbers. I mean, he has these long lists. So these people were, and then he says, now. That's how you used to walk. Now you walk this way. And so that makes the church. Sometimes we, we assume that when we dive into the book of Corinthians or any book of the Bible, we assume that the context is our context. And that's, that's not helpful. Um, we need to understand the church, the people, the community, because it helps us to get proper perspective on what's happening here. All right? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses here. 2 Corinthians, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is in Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Asia, grace to you. Peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. You see, our hope for you is unshaken. For we knew that as you share in the suffering, you will also share in our comfort For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. 
You see, he delivered us from such a deadly pearl, and he will deliver us on him. We have our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come to the text with our filter. We come to the text with our burdens, our luggage, our understanding of who you are. And so we ask, Lord, that you would refine our understanding of who you are, that it would be true and purified. Father, that we would know you and walk with you, that we would know the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in the midst of our circumstances, and that we would leave this place knowing that we've encountered you, and that we'd leave this place knowing, knowing that you're at work, doing far more abundantly, abundantly than we could ever imagine or conceive. And so have your way in our hearts this morning. Speak to us with clarity, we pray. And may we determine to implement the truth through the power of your spirit. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. The opening greeting that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians is full of this hurt. These questions that are lingering his position, his authority, it's full of it. When we understand the context and the pushback, when we understand the challenges of Corinth, all of a sudden, verse 1, this greeting, which you know may seem insignificant, becomes very significant. Notice how Paul begins. He says, Paul, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Now, now, when we understand that there's pushback on Paul and his position, because the church of Corinth thinks that he's a bit flighty, when, when we understand that the church of Corinth is, has a, a group of leaders that are coming in and saying, don't listen to Paul. Who, who's Paul anyways? Listen to me. I know best. I know better. Paul, he, he begins by saying, no, 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 no. Let me just set the record straight here. My name is Paul, and I'm an apostle I'm an apostle. Make no mistake, I'm an apostle. I am a sent out one from God. I am one who oversees and plants and, and, and watches over the church and the health of the church. Paul, an apostle of who? Jesus Christ. He's not an apostle unto himself. He's an apostle unto Jesus Christ. It was Jesus Christ who anointed and sent Paul out in Acts chapter 8 on the Damascus Road. It was Jesus Christ who said, you will be a voice to the Gentile, to those who are, 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 are not of Jewish descent. You will be a voice to them. You will declare the gospel and you will suffer much. You see, Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. He points to him, not by his own determination, not because someone else has declared that he's an apostle, but what? The text says this, that he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul just wants to set the record straight. Paul has authority to speak into the church of Corinth. He has the authority to direct them. He has the authority to say hard things. Friends, the book of Corinthians is a prescriptive book. And it says hard things. And today, you're going to hear some hard things. Things that you're not going to want to hear. 
And not only are they hard things, they're, they're, they're hard to take. It's hard to apply it. Why? Because it's difficult. See, Paul's an apostle by the will of God of Jesus Christ. He points to him and he says, listen, God has called me to do this. This is not an easy task. This is a difficult task. But he takes it with seriousness and he takes it with diligence. And then he says, and Timothy, our brother. He sets Timothy aside. He helps them understand that Timothy is an important player in the, in the events and in the church at Corinth. But he doesn't hold the same position or authority as Paul does. No, that's not Timothy's role, especially with the church at Corinth. Paul helps him to understand that, that he's an important person and that he's a brother. Notice the language that's packed here. He goes on to say this. Who's the context? Who's he writing to? To the church. To the church of Corinth. He's not writing to unbelievers. That's important to note. He's writing to believers. Now, do the believers have it all together? No. No. Sometimes in our naivety, we think that the early church was a bustling church that, that had no mistakes. We, we think that the early church was like the perfect church. If only we belonged to the early church, we would thrive. Nonsense. The early church was a mess. And that's why we've got the epistles. We should be thankful for their mess because it helps direct us. He's writing to the church. Are they making mistakes? Yes, clearly. Some of them are appalling. Some of them, we, we, we can't believe it. Some of them, we would even question whether they're truly saved. But Paul is writing to the church. More than that, look what he says. Not just the church of Corinth, but to the, the region of Achaia. The saints who live there. This is a letter to a specific church, but more than that, it's a letter in general to the saints. What are the saints? Those who have been set apart positionally because of what Christ has done. That's what the saints are. The saints are those who have been set apart. And so you and I, those who've called on the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, those who've determined that, that their sin and brokenness has been paid for on the cross of Calvary, listen friends, positionally, you're a saint. You may not feel like a saint, you may not act like a saint all the time, but you are a saint, and that's what Paul is identifying here. It's not a question of their salvation, this letter. It's a question of redirection. It's a question of correction. And then he continues on. He says, grace to you. Grace. Grace. You don't deserve it. Receive it. Grace to you, he says, and peace. Peace from where? Not peace from neglect, not peace from uh, trying to reframe history or our reality. Peace from God, our Father. Hmm. Notice that he puts Father in there. Why? Well, Jewish people had a hard time. It was a big leap to understand Yahweh as an approachable Father. Huge leap. Hmm. Yahweh... The name of God that the Jewish people would use, they, they wouldn't even say the name because they so revered it. They so revered God that they would never approach him as father. Their experience dictated that he was best not approached too lightly. I mean, if you went into the Holy of Holies, 
as the high priest, they would tie a rope around your leg and you would have bells on your gown and when they stopped hearing the bells and you hadn't responded, they would pull you out because you went in in an unworthy way. Paul's trying to say, hey, let me explain who God is. He's your father. Friends, who's God to you? Who is he to you? Has your worldview affected the way that you approach God? See, the church of Corinth, for sure, Crispus, absolutely. He's wrestling, who is this God? And and the Judaizers who are coming in and and, and they're sowing seeds uh, of deception. False prophets, uh, apostles, I'm sorry, are coming in. And and what what does Paul say? Listen, grace to you. Peace to you from God our Father. You're going to notice the Father's used numerous times through the text. Why? Because Paul is trying to help them understand who God is. Ah, it's a relational term. And he's the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's relational. It's not that Jesus existed because his father uh, procreated. No, 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 no. Jesus Christ always has been. It's a relational reality. Father, son. It speaks of the triune God. Paul is trying to help the church of Corinth understand the significance of God the Father. He goes on to say this, Blessed be the God, Father, again, let's just cement this message in the minds of those who are listening. He goes on to say, Blessed or happy be the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Love that. Friends, the church of Corinth, like every other church, was a missional church. What do I mean by that? See, it wasn't enough to know Jesus Christ and to receive the free gift of heaven. No, 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 no. The message had to be proclaimed to all people everywhere. And so as the church started to grow in Corinth, as people began to believe that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ went out into Corinth, and as that message went out, you, you need to understand, Roman culture, uh, they ruled with an iron fist. Corinth was a, a replica of Rome. The city plan was the same as Rome. And, and the mindset was, by and large, Roman. They had their seven temples there that they, they expressed their worship to all kinds of gods. And here Christianity is coming in and saying there's only one God. And Jesus Christ is the answer. It's been 20 years since Jesus has died on the cross and has risen from the grave. And people are believing the message of the gospel and people aren't liking it and they're pushing back. And almost assuredly, it's affecting people's businesses as they go to church. Almost assuredly, it's affecting their livelihoods, their relationships, their friendships, their neighbors. It's starting to affect them, and they're starting to feel the pressure and persecution. And Paul says to them, listen, blessed be the God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy. Oh, mercy, oh God, on us we pray. The God of all comfort, friends. Friends, if you want comfort, 
If you want comfort, you need to go to God. He's the one who comforts us. Friends, it's, it's, we tend not to do this. Isn't that true? We tend to have our own strategic plans as to how to get comfort. We, we tend to have our own strategies, our own ideologies as to how to relieve the stress or, stress or the pressure in our lives. And, and what Paul is doing is he's directing our attention to God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the one who's able to comfort us, to give us all comfort. You can bank on it. You can be sure of it, that God is able to comfort us. He goes on to say that. He says, who comforts us? Who comforts us in all our afflictions? I love that. Isn't that good news? Friends, if you've got a burden that you're carrying that's far too heavy, go to the God of all comfort. He understands. Friends, if you're feeling the pressure, go to the God of comfort. He's able to comfort you. Bring it to the foot of the cross. Why? Well, look at what the text says to us. So that we may be able to comfort those who are also in any affliction. Now, now, the purpose of being comfort is twofold. That we would receive the peace of God, the comfort of God, that we may comfort those around us. It's community. Hmm. We are not an end in the means. We are a part of the broader community. God comforts us in our affliction so that we may be a comfort to those who are around us. Isn't that true? Don't you love being around people who, who kind of have, have done a little life and have felt the pains, the struggles, the hardship, and they can just look, they don't even have to say it. The, the, the look, the countenance, the power of their presence, you, you just, you just, ah, oh man, you get it. <laughs> that we would spill over onto other people. See, the temptation in the midst of affliction and challenges is to isolate ourselves. And that's the, the exact opposite of what we should be doing. We need to run to community, authentic community. We need to, we need to run to those who, who've been under great affliction and find comfort with them. Why? He continues to unpack this. He says, listen, we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So that through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. <laughs> See, it's all about Jesus. See, Jesus isn't a high priest who can't understand our affliction. He, he's not one who is aloof or distant. No, no, no. Jesus Christ endured suffering for you and for me. Jesus Christ knows, God in flesh knows what it's like to get hit in the face. He endured it. When they mocked and scoffed him. He knows what it's like to be spat on. To be misunderstood. To be accused. To be ridiculed. He knows what it's like to be stretched out and hung on a cross. He knows what it's like to be deserted by his closest friends. 
to be betrayed by a friend who kisses him. He understands our affliction. Our high priest understands. He has suffered abundantly. And so too, as we enter into suffering with him, he also is the one who's able to comfort us. Why? Because he is the one who understands. He understands what it means to to go through such suffering. And, And so he's able, Jesus Christ the Lord is able to bring Uh, abundant comfort to you and to I. In order that we would what? We would be able to comfort those around us. Now, Now, we don't like talking about this. It's hard to hear. Christianity, shouldn't it be easy street? Isn't, isn't it good news? Shouldn't Christianity be easy and light? Like, what's all this affliction talk? And by and large in the West... We have enjoyed the blessing of not having to endure. Yet, Paul says, he says, Corinth, this is not an abnormality. It's not abnormal for you to endure suffering. This this is actually quite normal. As you stand for righteousness, as you stand for Christ, as you declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, yes, you will join in his sufferings. Paul re-emphasizes this message when he writes to young Timothy. He says to young Timothy, listen, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, if you desire to walk with Jesus, if you desire a godly life in Christ Jesus, look at this, you will be persecuted. Good night. There's no wiggle room here. All. All, not some, all, indeed all. It's an emphatic, hey, listen, you're gonna, you want to live a godly life? You desire to live a godly life? Here's, here, here's what you can bank on, persecution. Hi. But who comforts us? Yeah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ comforts us in the midst of our affliction. Isn't that a great promise? See, that's what Paul says. He says that's our hope. Our hope is in Christ in the midst of the affliction. Our hope is in him that he will bring us salvation, that he will comfort us, and that not only will he comfort us, he'll comfort uh, others or those who are around us, and that we will experience the patience and the endurance of the suffering that we are suffering. See, our hope is, is unshakable. Our hope is in him. He's able. He's able to see us through. He's able to bring comfort and encouragement. He's able to see us through. So why do, why do you not want to be on? And then he goes on to say this. I'm sorry. Transition here. He goes on to say this. I don't want you to be unaware. I'm not speaking from a, 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 a university setting. I'm not speaking sort of separated from the reality of suffering. He says, don't, don't, don't you know my story? He says, brothers, we have been under affliction that we've experienced in Asia. He goes on to say this, that we were so utterly burdened beyond our strengths that we despaired of life itself. See, Paul's not speaking in a, in a vacuum. He's saying, this is my story. 
in Asia Minor. Commentators point to his time in Ephesus, which I highlighted uh, prior to the sermon, when he was thrown in jail, him and some others. There's not a ton of clarity here. There's some kind of alluding to. And while he was in jail, the sentence was that he was going to be brought into the great amphitheater and ripped apart by wild animals, a sport for everyone. See, Paul says, listen, listen, I get it. I've lived under the sentence of death and I despaired unto life itself. Are you struggling? Why? Why? He goes on to explain this. He says, we received the sentence of death, but God wasn't out of control. He says, this was so that we would learn not to rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Hard to hear, isn't it? What about your reality? What about your challenges? Have you ever sat back and went, oh, God, like, why? God, this is so difficult. If there's ever a verse that helps us understand that, that God's goal and objective in our lives is not comfort. It's, it's holiness. It's knowing him and the power of the resurrection. See, God allowed this great affliction into Paul's life so that he would know who God is. That he would learn not to rely on himself, but he would learn to rely on God. And then what happens? It's the, it's the effect as he is comforted by God and, and through Jesus Christ and his abundant suffering and, and his uh, comfort, then it spills over onto those around and brings life and hope to community. The side effect, the implications are dramatic and huge. As he wraps up the chapter, he speaks about the importance of hope, and not just that, he speaks about the importance of prayer. He goes on to say this, you also must help us by prayer. Prayer is not a rote activity that has no significance. No, Paul says, no, no, you must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on your behalf for the blessing granted through us and the prayers of many. Hmm. How wonderful. I think Alex's testimony just sends that message clearly home, doesn't it? Uh, The prayers of the saints. Let's stand together. We'll call the worship team out. See, 2 Corinthians is a book that talks about things that are hard to hear and hard to take. Isn't that true? See, God doesn't say he will remove our suffering. No, in the midst of our suffering, he says he will comfort us through Jesus Christ the Lord, that we would be a comfort to those around us. Hmm. Friends, you may be under great stress this day. And maybe you don't know who Jesus Christ the Lord is. Well, listen, listen to me. Jesus Christ knows you. He died for you. And he wants you to know the depth of his love. Would you surrender your will to him? Would you confess your sin and call on him to save you? Friends, as you've heard, it's not an easy road, but it's worth it.
Friends, maybe you've received Christ and you're under all kinds of pressure. Maybe pressure at work, pressure at home, pressure with your neighbors. Listen, friends, you're in good company. Paul, Paul, the church of Corinth endured much suffering. The temptation, friends, is to try and do it alone. But God, God desires that you look to him, the God of all comfort, to provide. To bring grace, mercy, peace. That you learn not to rely on yourself, but on him. But also note that Paul says community. That you may comfort one another. Don't do this thing alone. That's what we're here for. We're here to comfort one another and encourage one another. To pray for one another. To have authentic community. And so, Lord, you know our hearts, our challenges, our ups and downs. You know whose heart is far from you. You know who's hostile towards you. You are keenly aware. And so, Lord, we ask... We ask for a glimpse of your glory. We ask that Jesus Christ would be lifted high even in these moments and that you would draw each one of us to yourself. Those who've never confessed their sin, their need of a redeemer, redeemer and savior, may it be so, even now in the quietness of this moment. May their eternity be forever changed. And Lord, would you draw us together as a community? Would you help us not to isolate ourselves? Would you help us to look to you, the God of all comfort, in the midst of our challenges, in the midst of our affliction? And may we discover Christ, the God of all comfort.